to the raft guide who accidentally left his gear out at the outfitter last night and is now climbing a tree to get it all down because the river ferries got to it. This is Come Hell or High Water, a weekly podcast devoted to our love of boating in all its forms. I'm your host, Katie Gossis, and I hope you've gotten in your boat this week. Big thanks to Evan Safford and American Whitewater for the interview last week, and I was asked to pass along that the races and the festival for the Feather River in California have been canceled due to the Dixie Fire. And even though the Gali River Festival isn't happening this weekend, there is an online auction that benefits American Whitewater if you're interested. Also, there is a possibility of loss of access for boaters on the Truckee River, since a new landowner has bought the property around the takeout road. The listening session just happened yesterday, but if you wish to send your comments to the Nevada County Supervisor, American Whitewater has created an easy action form on their website you can fill out. If you want to watch, this weekend is the 2021 International Canoe Federation's Slalom and Wildwater Canoeing World Championships in Slovakia. Good luck to all the competitors. Go check out the ICF website for live streams and info. If you have any upcoming Whitewater events you would like me to announce, email me at comehellrhighwater at gmail.com. If you haven't already, go follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. This week, my guest is a kayaker who hails from the lovely state of Maine. She is sponsored by Level 6 and Paddles for Piranha Kayaks, is wicked funny, as they say in the Northeast, and I had such a great time interviewing her. Please help me welcome Jesse Sterling. Hi, Jesse. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Katie? Not too bad. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited and a little nervous. So for people who don't know who you are, what you do in the paddling community, uh, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Jesse, and I like long walks on the beach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, so my name is Jesse Sterling, and I live in, in Maine in the West Forks area, and I'm a whitewater kayaker. The Forks in Maine is where the Dead River and the Kennebec River meet, and this intersection of two powerful rivers has created one of the best areas for whitewater rafting in the region. Um, that's pretty much all that I do. I think anybody who's in this life knows that it's like a straight-up addiction. So I had hobbies and other things that I did, and then I just let them all go like a drug addiction. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I do all different types of kayaking, but I haven't actually been doing it very long. I just kind of latched onto it within the last like five years or so. Actually, maybe not even that long. Dove in with both and, feet? Uh, figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> and figuratively. what is the current kayak that you're paddling right now? Ooh, that is a tough question. Because um, there's multiple or? <laughs> no, there's a whole bunch of others at a time. I can say that my newest boat is the new Piranha Scorch. I just got that one in, uh, it was in the beginning of June, actually, was, was when I, I think so. Yeah, beginning of June, end of May, somewhere in that time frame. But that's my newest boat. The Piranha Scorch is a river runner that combines and refines features from industry-leading designs like the Burn, 
with its uncompromisingly sharp rails, the 9R with its volume distribution and bow rocker, and the Ripper with its fast and nimble planing hull to create a truly awesome kayak. I think we just did a count the other day for conversation purposes. I think the total count of boats is up to like 14. Whoa. Now, do you have a separate shed for that, or do they have their own bedroom, or...? I mean, yeah, they have their own bedroom. We've got, like, a bunk bed situation set up. You know, we tuck them in every night. No, they're in the garage. <laughs> Which no longer houses cars, just boats. It does not. Yes, actually, completely accurate. Yeah, there is no space for vehicles in there at this present moment. It's accurate. It's totally accurate. That's awesome. I've always talked about wanting to have a, uh, you know, like a porch where the end of the porch has a has access to the driveway as well so you can like load boats in there but then you can come up on the porch if it's raining undo all of your wet gear and all of that stuff and then put it in this shed if you will with a dehumidifier in it and yeah right yeah we actually have a dehumidifier in the basement so it's necessary i feel like especially if you're paddling on the east coast with the humidity and everything you know if you want to paddle multiple day- multiple days in a row, if you don't have a dehumidifier, you're gonna be hot putting on something wet, and that's sucky. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a guarantee. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you sub sure. too, right? Yeah. So that actually started fairly recently. Um, I guess it's all pretty recent, but level six has been really great to me, and they like like I paddle for them. I'm an ambassador for them, and. Um, they also make sups, and so we've got a couple of those bad boys and have really tested their limits. Nice. Have you taken them on any whitewater or anything? Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and it's a shit show. It's a total, (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but it's, like, my girlfriend Morgan probably said it best when she was like, have you ever had so much fun being terrible at something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, And, and that was, like, the perfect way to describe it because we laughed and giggled the whole way down and we swam a lot oh yeah i'm sure it's a it's that sounds like a blast i 10 out of 10 would recommend because when you <laughs> swim out of a kayak it's kind of a project to get back in the boat yeah for sure yeah but you swim on a stuff and you just you just monkey back onto that thing and you're you're all set nice yeah i figured out last summer that uh my dog my dog doesn't do rafts she does not do boats that is not her thing Hates it with a passion. Uh, Found out, though, last summer that she likes the SUP board. And she will get on a SUP board with me and let me, at least in flat water, and let me troll it around, which was really exciting. So, Oh, what kind of dog? I have a uh, Shepherd Blue Healer mix, I think. She's a a rescue mutt. Rescue your pets. It's the best way to go. So pretty. So pretty. We have two rescues as well. And one of ours is a Husky Cattle Dog mix. Oh, nice. Yeah. Talkative? Wicked. (laughs) Like, she wasn't like that when she first showed up, though. Okay, and so this is a little bit about me. I don't know if you do this with your dogs, but, like, we, we, my partner and I, my my human in life, um, we like to give, he's going to kill me, but we like to, (laughs) our dogs have their own voices and commentary, and I don't know if you do this with your animal, but we definitely do, and we felt like, like, she showed up, and she was really quiet and kind of reserved, and she just looked like she was going to be the sweetest little nugget, and now she's like a little demon, like, she just, (laughs) 
she's like, it sounds so bad. She's gorgeous and I love her and I wouldn't trade her for the world, but she just gives you this look sometimes like, I would rip your throat out. Like, if you don't give me that treat. Like, <laughs> now, can you get them on a boat or anything? Or are they just like, nah, I don't, I don't do that? They will sup also. They, right, we nice. have never, and well, actually, I shouldn't say never. Um, we take them out on like class two and below, like class two, flat water to class two and nothing above that. And they're pretty good with that. Um, but I, one of my dogs, Cooper, who thinks that the world starts and ends with me, he has wicked bad anxiety. And I couldn't imagine like even entertaining the idea of trying to take him like down anything more than that or on any craft for some reason, like he tolerates the stuff, but he just, yeah, he gets like super anxious. And so Nala could probably like just kind of go for it. And she just, she probably wouldn't like it, but she'd just be giving us that cold stare that I just told you about. Like if anything, <laughs> if anything bad happens, like I'm taking you with me. I feel like um, anything over like a class two is really not fair to your pets because they really don't understand what you're putting them into. They don't really get a say in the matter. And I like, and also, you know, if they swim, like dogs are great swimmers, but also, you know, they don't understand the obstacles or stuff like that on the river that like you inherently know with our big brains, like, oh, there's an undercut under that rock. I need to avoid it. They don't know that. And I feel like that's kind of not fair to them. So that's a totally fair statement. I think, I think you raise a good point. And like we've seen a few instances of that ourselves. Um, like we saw a guy take his dog down the Kennebec Gorge, which is like a class four, three run. I said that backwards. I guess most people go low to high. So three to four <laughs> runs. I don't know why I did that. American Whitewater has this to say about the Kennebec Gorge. They rate it as a Class 3, Class 4 section of whitewater with a length of about 3.4 miles and an average gradient of 40 feet per mile. The flow range runs between 350 CFS to 13,000 CFS. Once you enter the gorge below Harris Station, you are committed to the run. The gorge has sheer walls with Class 4 big water running for about 2 miles. The main concern is big waves, cross currents, and some large holes. The shoreline is shale that tends to break up into sharp, jagged edges. But, um, yeah, we, we saw one guy do that one time, and it all kind of gave us pause. But we do know, especially because that dog didn't have a life jacket, um, oh, yeah. which was a little frustrating. Fortunately, everything was fine. I do know a lot of folks who take their kids and, and pets down uh, the lower Kennebec, which is like mm -hmm. a 2-3 run. The lower Kennebec is considered a class 2 to 3 section of whitewater with a length of about 9.5 miles and an average gradient of 17 feet per mile. The flow range is between 2400 and 20,000 CFS. This is often run as a continuation of the upper gorge run of the Kennebec, especially for larger watercraft such as rafts. And it's it's a fairly short stretch and I think that but I think it also kind of depends. The Kennebec is like, I wouldn't take a pet down, like, the Dead River. According to American Whitewater, the Dead River is a Class 4 section of whitewater with a length of about 14.8 miles and an average gradient of 31 feet per mile. The flow range is between 800 and 13,000 CFS. It's located in a remote area of northern New England, and it's one of the longest continuous sections of whitewater in the northeast. With approximately 30 rapids along a 14-mile stretch, it is an incredibly popular summer whitewater run. 
The river is primarily release controlled, although it also runs after periods of heavy rain. The difficulty of the river changes greatly depending upon release level. Or the west branch of the Nob. The Kennebec is like a really great river for everybody and for pets, but your dog, no matter what, should always have a life jacket as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, 100%. Child, dog, human, however, any being that is going on a boat needs a life jacket. Absolutely. For sure. sure. And I feel like with kids and with like pets and stuff, I think it's really about like, start them out slow. How do they feel Mm. on this stretch? You know, oh, do they seem terrified or do they seem like they're kind of into it and then like working their way up from there? For sure. Yeah, totally agree with that. So have you paddled at all outside of Maine? I have, actually. I've been really lucky. Um, We travel when we can. This past year was a little tricky, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we usually try to get like like a good trip in. Um, We paddle throughout New England. That's kind of to be expected. It's a pretty, you know, the states are pretty close together compared to the other states, and they're not that big besides yeah. me. Um, so in and around New England, but then we travel down to the southeast um, quite a bit, actually. I think down there, probably like the biggest ones to note is, of course, we've done Gali a bunch. The Gali River is a 105-mile-long river located near Summersville, West Virginia. The three commonly run sections are as follows. The upper gully, which is a class 4 to 5 section, 9.2 miles in length with an average gradient of 36 feet per mile, and flow range between 400 and 5,000 CFS. The middle gully is the most mellow of the three at 6 miles of class 1 to 3 rapids, and the lower gully is a class 3 to 4 and 13 miles in length. Um, we've done like the new and we've done some creaking, um, but I think like probably... In the southeast, like, the most exciting thing I've done would be actually doing the Narrows. According to American Whitewater, the Green Narrows is a class 4 or 5 plus section with a length of about 3 miles, touting an impressive gradient of 178 feet per mile. Um, But not just because it was the Narrows, which is kind of like a a thing I think a lot of creakers look forward to doing someday. Like, that's when you're like, I want to get to that point. But I went to the women's takeover um, for the first time a couple years ago. And it was like, I think we had 98 or 99 women. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was so sick. It was just like that, that day, that weekend was absolutely amazing. Just so, so crazy to be around that many women paddlers from like all over the country. Yeah, and then, sure. I think like 34 of us ended up doing the narrows and I just, you know, being from Maine, don't know the lines and just being with such like a great group of women who were like, yeah, like we'll show you down. It was probably the most chill run, like Creek run I've ever had. And it's the green narrow. So you know that it's not actually a chill run, but it was, it was amazing. But you felt comfortable. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it for sure. And I can't, to any male boaters that are out there, which is there's most of you are, uh, I can't really describe for you the feeling of being in a very male dominated space. And, but that space being occupied by mostly, if not all women. Yeah. It's like an incredible feeling and it makes you feel like very proud and very like, honored to be there I guess it's a 
So it, as someone who has also done that type of thing in the past, it's it's very cool. It really is. Yeah, I think what, what there's a, I know there's like a few other events. I think there's one out in like California where they do like a big women's takeover. Um, and we started with COVID. We did one on the Kennebec this past year just because nobody was traveling. I think those things are just so huge. Um, and so like the women down on down on the green, they just, you know, they're doing something really special down there. So it's really cool to, yeah. to even just, I, I encourage everybody to go be a part of it. And men can too. Like that's how they make that event work. And I'm assuming that maybe some of these other events do this. If they don't, they should totally tap into this. But like the yeah. guys down there are super amazing. They do all the shuttle for the women. They set up safety. A bunch of guys volunteer to take like video and, and photographs and like really like do everything so that all the women have to do is just like paddle and have a good time. And so it's just just a really oh, cool that's great yeah that sounds like magical <laughs> yeah for sure yeah um what's your favorite stretch of river Oof. you know and this is for like everybody who's listening is so like you katie did send me a list of like prospective questions you know for when we when we got together and my my partner matt and i like just kind of while we were at camp like threw the questions at each other and this was obviously on the list it's a very natural question to ask and we were both like oh I don't know um <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a it's a natural question to ask but it is a hard question to answer because I agree with you that like I am um, very much I all the all the rivers I've floated are my favorite river it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah I enjoy myself every time I'm on the river exactly. so exactly I think the Kennebec will always have a special place in my heart because that's where I learned to kayak and it's where I call home now but I mean as far like it would be more like tell me a bunch of like your favorite stories and then I'll tell you the rivers and where those stories take place like it's yeah every river is different and they're all just they all just need to be worshipped I think 100% absolutely yeah, did you guys get to do um, the Tulula when you were down in the southeast? The Tulula Gorge is a class 4 or 5 section of whitewater that is 1.3 miles in length, with a flow range between 450 and 1,200 CFS. No, have not done that. Um, on the list, have you? It's on my list, too, 100%. <laughs> Oceana is just intriguing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, have not. Have not, have not. There's a ton of rivers that I feel like we haven't. I mean, I've only been, like I said, I've only been paddling for since 2016. So, yeah, I guess it would be five years this year. Yeah, you've done a lot in a very short period of time. So that's awesome. I'm trying. I mean, I'm fighting the clock. I got into it really late in life. And so I'm like, I got to get in as much as I can before my, you know, my body catches up with me. Yeah. And did you ever do any outdoor stuff when you were little, or did this come later in life? I know you said you started paddling in, like, 2016, but um, did you do outdoorsy things other than paddling before this, or? I mean, I would say, I'd say I'm probably, like, the classic kid raised in, in Massachusetts slash New England area. I guess, like, now, looking at the life that I live now and comparing that to what it was like when I was a child, I would say no. But if you asked me that five years ago, I would have said yes. Um, okay. It's just very different. Like I grew up um, in and around like the Boston area. I lived in like New Hampshire and stuff when I was like really young. But my family, 
didn't and still doesn't do these types of things. Um, hey, that's like me. Yeah, really? Yeah, my family is uh, very much uh, live in the city or outside of the city, and they don't camp or uh, backpack or paddle at all. So Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. If I asked my mother to, like, come up and do this, she would do it. And she has gone rafting, I will say that, and she loved it, and she had a great time. But she... I, she's somebody you could pitch an idea to and she'll say yes. And I think it just wasn't really around when I was a kid. Nobody I knew talked about paddling, especially I knew I did some rock climbing when I was in college. Um, but most of that was like indoor gyms. Cause again, I was going to college in the city. And so, yeah, I didn't really, didn't really know wanted to, like, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I'm going to retire to Maine ever since I was like a little kid, but yeah. Yeah. No. Like, so who brought you into the kayaking community? How did that all occur? YouTube. Um, (laughs) It's probably, I would be interested to hear how you got into it um, for comparison. (laughs) But how I got into it was I ran a 5K. This is God's honest truth. I ran a 5K in Portland, Maine. And that was awesome. But there was like a craft beer festival after and one of the breweries that was there was Kennebec Brewing, and they had these pamphlets for, also they make great beer, but they had these pamphlets for for whitewater rafting, and it was like this whole, you know, how they do, like a gimmick, like come spend the day, whatever, and do all these things. And so I personally am a wild type A personality, and although the rafting and the people in the photograph looked like they were having a good time, I, there was nothing about that that seemed attractive to me. You wanted to be in control, yeah. For sure, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I had a sea kayak at the time and would go on, like, lazy rivers and things like that. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, you could do this in a kayak. And I Googled it when I got home. And sure enough, of course, this was, like, 20, sometime between 2012 and 2014. Um, Sure enough, you could. And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to do that. Like, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what it was. I just did a bunch of research online, started buying stuff off of Craigslist. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be that paddler out there that, you know, did it, decided they wanted to do it, but all the new gear swam really hard and said, nope, yeah. <laughs> and sells it all on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, it was so, yeah, ironically. So like one of the guys who's been one of the biggest influencers in my paddling progression I met off of Craigslist he he had posted a a link saying that he was selling a boat and it was a boat that I had been doing a lot of research on and so I reached out to him his name's Adam Sweat he now lives down in Tennessee and um like this man had never met me before in my life and I was like yeah you should just like lend me that boat and let me try it and he did and then I don't know a friendship was formed and he's He's an amazing dude, but, like, that seems to be, like, the thing with the paddling community as a whole, and I didn't know that at the time. I was like, wow, this guy is amazing, which he is, but the paddling community as a whole is just, like, they'll give you the shirt off their back. 100%. I agree with that statement for sure. Yeah. How did you get into it? Uh, So, I had a friend in high school who had, at the time in West Virginia, you could be 16 and be a guide. Um, and that changed pretty much right after she had started. And I, summer after high school, I was 18, and uh, 
you know, she had always talked about this and talked it up and I didn't have a summer job. So I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll try to go be a raft guide and uh, showed up at the outfitter. And I have no idea what my parents were thinking because they dropped me off with a tent and, you know, all this stuff for me to start training as a raft guide and to live on the hill behind the outfitter. That's so classic. Okay. What they were thinking, I have no idea, but I thank them to this day for it because, yeah, that was the greatest, one of the greatest summers of my life. And, yeah, started guiding, and it was love at first sight. I never looked back, so. And you were how old? Oh, I was 18. 18. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I was like, I don't know how, I'm not, I don't want to actually say how old I am because then you'll know how old I am, or how old I was, because then you know how old I am now, which is old enough. Um, <laughs> But, like, I was a lot older than that, and my family was still like, what do you think you're doing? Um, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. So so this is interesting. And so, like, I didn't know this until probably, like, the last year or so. No, probably. It was, like, fairly recent that I learned this. Uh, last mm-hmm. July, actually. So I was down on the Upper Yawk paddling with some of the other guys on the Piranha team and, uh, and just having a grand old time. Um and the Upper Yacht is one of my favorite stretches. Oh, yeah. It's a good, it's a fun run. <laughs> yeah, it's such a fun run for me in a kayak. The Upper Yakagani River is a class four or five section of whitewater located outside of Friendsville, Maryland. It's about 9.6 miles in length with an average gradient of 52 feet per mile. The flow range is between 2.9 and 4 feet. The river was and remains a hotbed for the development of paddling skills and equipment and offers some of the most technical commercial rafting you'll find anywhere. Predictable summer releases make this one of the main playgrounds for Eastern Class 4 and Class 5 boaters. The rapids are continuous and technical, and most rapids have numerous lines ranging from Class 3, Class 4 to solid Class 5 lines, featuring narrow slots, tricky booths, and big holes. I could not imagine commercially rafting it. And that's where this story kind of goes. Is like we were like kayaking down the river and we we're just having a grand old time. And I was like, so, so what does a guide have to do in order to get their guide's license to guide on the upper yacht? Because that's what you have to do in Maine. In Maine, they have two classes of guide's licenses. And there's like yeah. this huge train for it. I assumed that that was the case everywhere. I didn't realize that Maine was in the minority as far as requiring whitewater guides to have like an actual license and entrance exam. Um, yeah. Yeah. So is it like, so tell me about a little bit about that. Did that, when you were becoming a guide, like what do you guys have, or did they have similar type of criteria? Like what were some of the other entrance criteria when you're going through guide training? So the way I remember it is they take you out for like three full days of being on the river with only guide staff and trainees. Um, and we call them turkey boats where you're going down with no customers or anything. And they do like flip line drills. Like they flip the raft over and you have to flip it back over and just learning how to be comfortable in the water, like Mm. swimming, throw bagging, all of that type of stuff and guiding a little bit, but learning, at least this was where I started was a very family river, like class two, three Mm -hmm. and, uh, but very technical. So it was really good because it really taught you and honed in your technical skills before you did anything bigger. And then slowly after that, they basically put you in a boat, in the back of a boat with another guide who has customers on a regular customer trip. And you kind of learn, you know, the pre-trip spiel and you learn um, how you talk to your customers. Um, 
And then slowly throughout the course of the couple of weeks that you're doing it, they will slowly let you take over more and more um, guiding um, until the point where basically you are running the whole trip by yourself and the other guide is literally just there to um, basically mitigate shit hitting the fan. (laughs) And basically you don't check out until that guide is 100% comfortable being in that boat with you. So, so it's not a, it's not a strict guide license type of situation, but they definitely do take it seriously and make sure that like, they're not putting their customers in a boat with, with just anybody. So, and there's a lot of people who don't go through with guide training because it tends to be really rough and you're, you know, camping out and, um, some people, they find out they have a fear of whitewater or whatever. So happens every year. So it has been quite some time since I was a trainee raft guide and I was a little fuzzy on the specific requirements. So I consulted my good friend Dave Hubbard regarding the specifics. Guide licensing requirements are state by state, but at least in West Virginia where I train, the state mandates the number of trips required on a specific section while the individual outfitter determines their own standards a guide must meet before being checked out to take customers. That's good to know. Yeah, I find that interesting. I feel like now that's one of like my first questions when I meet somebody from a different area is like, oh, what? and if it's one I haven't talked to about, to them about, now that I know that, that Maine kind of does, they all do it, I guess. All states are a little different. Uh, yeah. Really curious about that. I think that's awesome. And you're right. I mean, Whitewater is, I think it surprised my family when I decided that I was, although I had made the decision years prior, I didn't really communicate that out because there wasn't anybody I knew who did it. Um, And I kind of knew that if I told them, they'd tell me I was crazy. So I just sort of like packed it away and did like a little, I work on computers all the time. And so just spent a lot of time researching and learning, um, you know, on my own when they found out they were really surprised. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I actually have a huge fear of the ocean. Huge. Massive. Really? Ton of respect. Now, is it just like the depth and not being able to see the bottom? Or like, what's the, where does that, do you know where that fear stems from? I think it's all the things. So (laughs) it's like, it's not, it's a lot. Like, there's a lot happening under there that we don't know about. And I find it very difficult to you know call things or say that it's like a shark attack when you're on his dinner plate like it just doesn't work for me so I feel like you know that's their space and I'm not gonna tempt fate and I'll just kind of stay over here if you picked me up and dropped me into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean I would die of a heart attack before anything else just for fear of (laughs) all the things that could happen and I'd probably be fine like but I would have a heart attack yeah. So with kayaking and all of that, um, when did you start like competing and getting into racing? Uh, almost right away. So uh, this goes back to like Adam, the guy that I was talking about before. He and a couple of, of guys that I now call friends, because like, as you know, I mean, it's getting better. I think it's either getting better or I'm looking for them. But I feel like I see more women out on the river these days. Uh, kayaking, bodyboarding, supping, rafting, whatever. And, you know, again, that could just be coincidental. And I'm just finally now able to pick them out because I'm not having a heart attack every time I go down the river. But um, in the beginning, it was a lot of men around me. And they're wonderful, salt of the earth, and still friends with all of them to this day. But Adam and a couple of guys that he introduced me to took me on, like, my first Kennebec Gorge run. 
and he knew so at the time <laughs> it was like a little story time so at the time I was recovering from a pretty bad accident and I couldn't really walk like I ended up getting that's like a whole story in itself but so we did that Kennebec run and before we like actually went he had told me he's like well, if you get nervous like just keep paddling. Don't stop paddling. He didn't know this, but I already had this tendency to paddle hard when I was nervous. And so he said that, and I just took off. <laughs> and these were his words when they finally caught up to me. He's like, we were just chasing you down the river. Um, you should race. <laughs> I had ended up going for a really good swim on that river that day. But like up to that point, I guess I was going pretty fast. He was like, you know, Maybe not today, but like you should, you should think about racing. And so I did. Yeah. Yeah. And how many races have you been in since then? More, more races than I have fingers and prospectively toes. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. We missed you at the North Fork championship this year. Maybe someday. I mean, I was watching like the green and, and the North Fork are, are like two that I'm like, man, if I could get down there, do either of those someday, I'd be pretty pretty happy with myself like regardless of where I placed I'd be like I did it and and I'm really happy about it yeah for sure I mean there are huge stretches of river so I mean just getting down it is impressive and then like the north fork where I was watching it people doing the slalom gates and I'm like not only are you paddling a really hard stretch of river but then you're also making slalom gates as well it's incredible Absolutely incredible. Anybody who steps up to do that, I don't care where you place, the fact that you even went out there and did it is is amazing. And you should be so proud of yourself. Yeah. What's your best river story? My best river story. You know, I think it depends on how you define best. But so I had I'd had an accident where I fell about 30 feet and I was out of work for about six months and I had had to date. I've had uh, five surgeries, five surgeries, I think so, four surgeries. A decent amount of surgeries, amount more of so surgeries. than most people. <laughs> yeah, on my on my left leg, I've got five plates and, and 28 screws in that leg. And it was a really long recovery. And I couldn't do anything, right? Like I was, I was literally sitting all the time. It was the most humbling moment of my life. And it put a lot in perspective. Um, but I called, like, as a joke, called myself, like, a sitting expert. And you sit in a kayak. <laughs> so I was, when I finally got the, I had, like, I had an external fixator on my leg that was, it literally looked like a satellite dish. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, when kids saw it, like, they can't help it. Like, people look at it, they stare, like, it's something they've never seen before. But with little kids specifically, I'd be like, it happened because I didn't tie my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> which was was uh was hilarious for me i can remember at least one child like looking at their parent and starting to cry because they thought that that oh could be God. Someday. But, like, being the source of a child crying is never ideal <laughs> i know i know you should never want that but it was like the look on his face was hilarious it was <laughs> And I just, I felt like I was doing the parents a service because do you know how hard it is to get a child to tie their shoes? It is very difficult. Um, and now I just gave them a reason to be like, hey, do you remember that girl? Like, remember what she told you? Like, it's very important to tie those things. Um, 
pull the bunny around the tree. But <laughs> anyway, so so that had happened. Kayaking was a huge part of my recovery. It was um, especially when I after my 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 last surgery or my second to last surgery and i was still on crutches but um you know i was finally starting to move around people just i was tired of people looking at me that way and and like i don't know it just it just sucks when you can't get yourself a drink or you need people to like help you take a bath privacy went out the window for a very long time being helpless is horrible it sucks (laughs) yeah it's not um it's not something that I, it just, it gives you, it gives you perspective. I took, I took a, I think we all do. We take a lot of little things for granted. Going to make yourself a drink, going to make yourself lunch, being able to, you know, go out and basically do whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, And so, yeah, so kayaking, I started kind of doing that. The community helped me do that. I couldn't walk they would carry me down to the river. They would carry oh my, my God, gear down to amazing. the river. Yeah. They made it possible for me to do it in the beginning. And even like the folks at like the Brookfield Dam, like they opened up the gates and like drove me down to the pudding because they knew I couldn't walk the like 3,000 million steps <laughs> to, <laughs> to get there. Um, everybody really made it possible. And for a couple of hours while I went down river, like I just, I wasn't that handicapped girl. I was, I was me again. And that felt amazing. And so for, for a long time, I'd say that was probably my, and will always be in, in part my best paddling story is just that, that time in my life where I finally felt like I was becoming me again. And yeah, and just having the community rally behind you and, like, making that a priority, that's amazing. Yeah. And it really says something about the community that we've built. Like, it's amazing. It really is. And, like, it's easy to say, like, I've met people up here who were born and raised in this area, and they've known each other since childhood. That's not what this was. These were people who didn't know me from a hole in the wall. I was just some chick from Boston who had moved up here, you know, within the last couple of years and didn't really know anybody and they just they didn't care the only thing they cared about was that you know this was what I wanted to do and it was something that they loved to do and they just they wanted to share that with me and and I'll be forever grateful yeah what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from being on the river I think probably to stay humble you know the river has been um has been a huge part of building myself back up but it certainly will knock you down (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. It, it will remind you when you are feeling a little cocky um, that you are not in charge. And I think that that's really important. It definitely keeps you balanced. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And uh, I guess my last question, what does being on the river mean to you? I don't know. I guess these days it means everything. I met my partner, Matt, on the river. We've built a, a wonderful life that centers around the river and this community. And I think it means everything to us at this point. I'm really lucky to have found somebody. Like I literally met him floating down the Kennebec. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know that that was what was going to happen. You know, it was just like, oh, I've, like I'd seen this dude. And I was like, he was a really great kayaker and I was trying to become a good kayaker. And so I was like, we're going to be friends so that I can say <laughs> 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 so that I can siphon all of your skills and uh that was really all I was interested in and and then it just 
morphed into something more. So I think the river is kind of everything. What about you? Like, I feel like we've talked a lot about me. <laughs> and I, I know you're kind of like new to the podcast game. And so I don't know how much you've talked about you and like how, how you kind of got into all of this. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really, because I want it to be about like the people that I'm interviewing, but uh, I don't mind sharing st- stories and stuff about myself. So um, I guess being on the river for me means quiet. Like every time I go on the river, the the brain stops, like the bills and the due dates and job relationship, anything that's, you know, going through my mind constantly because I have a really hard time shutting my brain down and like step like stepping back for a minute and every time I get on the river it just goes away and I don't think about it for an, however long I'm on the river and it's amazing and it's a it it literally keeps me sane. Yeah, it's like it's your escape almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So, it's amazing that it can do that, but I think that it is amazing. I feel like yeah, I think that's definitely like relatable. I feel like that's how, you know, it, it it was kind of like that for me in, in a different way, right? Like I had all this stuff kind of going on in my personal life when it first started. And when I was kayaking, we were only focused on kayaking. And all people yeah. knew is that I was just some chick like going down the river. Nobody was asking me about how much pain I was in or, you know, what was going on. It was just like, it was just about what we were doing in that moment. And that felt so great. Yeah. Yeah. And it does force you to be in the moment for sure. That's a that's a great thing too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you want to be caught off guard. You know, when you're not paying attention, you might drop into something you don't want to be in. <laughs> uh, yes, very true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is that element of it. It almost demands your attention. So when are you racing again? Ooh, uh, actually, it's coming up. So it's the end of June, right? Um, mm-hmm. It is the end of. Oh, geez. It's the beginning of August. It is the West Branch, not Sky Race. Oh, nice. Uh, do you have a social media that people can follow you on? I do. I do. It is, um, so I'm on the gram, and my handle is, is Jess Sterling. J-E-S-T-E-R number one I-N-G. Because I'm wicked original. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you can't be confused with anybody else, so. <laughs> it's it's true. I can't even take credit for it. Like, I tried to get something else. I don't remember what it was on, like, Twitter many years ago when Twitter first came around. And it was like, mm, we don't have that. We recommend this. And so then this is what has become my handle for everything. <laughs> well, shit. I mean, if you ever find yourself coming up to the North Fork Championship or any of that fun stuff, you should definitely hit me up and we'll go paddling. Oh, for sure. I mean, and same goes to you. I feel like, I feel like Maine, like a lot of people don't know about the white water up here. I know it's true, and I have actually never hit Maine. That is the one on my bucket list. So well, you gotta come up. It's I awesome. heard you guys have good lobster. There's good white water. Like, there's <laughs> zero reason not to visit Maine. So there's, there's literally nothing you like. You're gonna love the whole the whole experience. I will say that like. There's more to Maine. I feel like when people think of Maine, that's all they think of is it's like seafood. But there's so much more. <laughs> there's so, so much more, including <laughs> white water. So you got to come up um, and give it a try. Well, I will definitely come visit you one day. And uh, yeah, thanks for talking to me today. This has been awesome. Yeah, anytime. I look forward to listening. Not to myself. I'm probably going to skip this one. 
but <laughs> I don't know. I've enjoyed this interview, so. <laughs> oh, good. Me too. Me too. Okay, guys. So today's reading water will be slightly different. Since September is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, I wanted to read you guys something written by a friend, Brandon Thompson. In Whitewater, you surround yourself with people that you enjoy being around, and with people who can save you. Sure, you can save yourself most of the time, but those people are your security blanket for those rare occasions when you're in over your head. Because no matter how strong your skills are, the river can always be stronger. One of the major barriers to this is communication. Your friends have to know where you are, they have to know that you need help, and they have to know how to help you. If you're silent about it, they may never know. If they aren't paying attention, they may never know. If you've gone ahead without them, they may never know. There are many ways that this communication can break down, so it's very important to actively keep open lines of communication when you're on the river. I think this is very similar to the way communication plays a role in our social lives, especially for those who are dealing with depression. I think we surround ourselves with people we enjoy being around and people who we think can save us. Over the past few years, I've looked at a number of suicides, and I find it incredible how depression seems to know no limits. Like the river, it is incredibly powerful, being able to topple people who are standing atop cliffs, thinking that they are untouchable, while depression slowly eats away at their foundations. Often, their social media pages are filled with happy people and happy memories. Friends, spouses, girlfriends, boyfriends, parents, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, pets, co-workers. Doing fun things like whitewater kayaking, climbing mountains, going to parties, skydiving. I think that most people forget that social media is only going to show you what's above the surface. They forget that they have to actively keep open lines of communication and have conversations about what's new and how things are going with work and relationships. This communication is a two-way street. So even if you are having these conversations, they can still hide the pain if they truly want to. As a rescuer, all you have to do is instigate a little bit of genuine conversation every now and then. As someone who may be in need of rescue, all you have to do is be realistic and honest about how things are going. Don't let pride keep you from being honest. Admitting that the river is stronger than you isn't a sign of weakness in your part, because it's stronger than anyone. In fact, it's a sign of strength, because the only real strength we have in the fight against the rivers of suicide and depression is teamwork. We're all in the river together. We all have ups and downs. Let's act like it. Very well put, Brandon. And remember, check on your buddies, guys. And if you need help, reach out to your buddies. If you don't feel comfortable doing so, you can always reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Thanks again to Jesse for taking time to talk to me today. If you have an upcoming river event you want me to announce, know someone I should interview, or just have a good river story, email me at comehellrhighwater at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Katie Gossis, and the music is written and performed by the band Buzzard's Glory. Go check out their Spotify. Hope you'll join me next time. Come hell or high water. Till I-